Have you ever noticed that when we do Bible study, I've never taught on patience? Who wants to go to a Bible study on patience? Yeah, so patience. But I'm not going to do that to you tonight. I'm not going to talk on patience. But we're going to talk on something that grabbed my heart last night. And really it's because I need this one. And I want to hear it. I want to hear it for myself. But I've heard patience defined a few ways, like don't quit. But tonight we're going to do a specific subject called having faith for delays in your life. Have you ever had delays and you needed faith for them? So I, I think we're getting close to subject. But I, I think we're, we're going to have a little fun with having faith for delays. And, man, I got encouraged. I was going to all these verses last night, and I was like, I like seeing how in the Bible you can have faith for certain delays. Now, life has a lot of delays to it. I noticed that there's a lot of delays in the Bible. In Matthew 21, 33, the delay of the master. I started counting them up. You remember the owner leaves for a while, and then he's delayed coming back, and so all his little mice begin to play, and everyone starts acting up. But what happens during the delay? It's like the professor's giving a test. He leaves the room. What happens in that room? Yeah. Do you realize that in Matthew 25, verse 5, the delay of the bridegroom, and everybody gets drowsy and they begin to sleep? I made myself a little note by this one. He can be late, but we can't. He's the important one. (laughs) We have to be the prepared one. He can be late, but we've got to be ready for him. When we're in Chiapas, there's nothing like south of the border. But I mean, they were like, you've got to be at the church at nine. So we'd start towards the church, three blocks away, walking. One hour ahead, eight o'clock in the morning, we'd start. And we'd witness all the way down. And we'd make it about 10 o'clock. And my stomach was in knots trying to get all my little chickens all the way down to the church. And I, I was in knots. And we got there at 10 o'clock, and I felt horrible. We were supposed to eat breakfast. Of course, they had breakfast at about 11.30 to 12. <laughs> and I thought, you know, Chiapas is you hurry up to wait. In airports, you know, you're, you're going full speed running through that airport, and you're hurrying to wait for delays. And that's the interesting part about delays. Now, our theme verse is Psalm 105, verse 19. Psalm 105, verse 19, it says, Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. Now, it's in reference to Joseph here. Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. Did you know that delays test you? First, we're going to talk about the test of a delay. You know, that interim period, that that lapse of time, it does a number on you. In this verse, it doesn't say that the long time encouraged Joseph. Or the long time strengthened Joseph. It says the delay tested him. Anytime something takes more time than you expect, it tests you. The delay, you know, it reminds me of my brother. I think we messed him up when he was a baby. My mom, and she'd get these big syringes. And she would push the syringe and fill him full of baby formula. And she'd put three or four of them in him. And he couldn't feel it. He was still screaming for more food because he couldn't feel being full because they were coming at him so quick. Well, it translated into an adult that he walks in from football practice and he's like, where's the food? (laughs) (laughs) And the delay brought unusual aspects in my brother from the time he was born until the time I watched him grow up. The delay. You know, drought, it's a delay of rain. How do you handle it? How do men handle it when their food is late or you're hungry? It gets you irritable. You know, Proverbs 13, 12 says that the hope deferred makes the heart sick. So you don't get sick tonight. We're going to talk on faith or delays. So 
so you don't get sick when things are slowed down. Having faith for that. All right, Genesis 37, 7 is going to begin talking about Joseph that this key verse was written for. And it's the delay of a dream. Have you ever had a dream in your heart from the time you were a child? You dreamed what you were going to do. And have you ever had a dream where you come along five years later, ten years later, and nothing has happened towards that dream? In fact, it looks like you're going in the opposite direction. Have you ever had a dream delayed in your life? Well, in this verse where it says, Until the time that the word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. Are they talking about Joseph's word to his family? Are they talking about his word to fellow prisoners? Let's go with both. Let's just say that the word of the Lord, whatever word of the Lord that came up and out of Joseph, whatever dream that he had, whatever dream he interpreted, it tested Joseph until it came to pass. In Genesis 37, 7, 9, and 11, Joseph has a word for his brothers and his father, and he tells them, even my family is going to bow down to me. That was the dream he had. And he informs them, and that made him really happy, didn't it? You know, we kind of, we dance around this verse, but the truth of this verse is, you know, you kind of look at it and think, it's a little fishy. You know, this guy goes to bed one night, he has his dream about himself, and he's the star, and all the stars bow down to him. He's the, he's the biggest corn stalk in the pasture, and all the other stalks bow down at Joseph. Well, when you look at this verse, you kind of think, we've got to be honest, he sounds a little flaky, doesn't he? You know, a lot of dreams that I hear, that I hear kids are going to do, I'm like, I don't say anything. Because who am I? But you know, I'll have a kid at the state school and he's going to own a music company and he's going to put out all this rap music and it's going to be, and you're, you're listening and the guy can't even keep from stealing the next day. And you know, you wonder how he's going to handle the money. Dreams. Joseph had dreams in his heart. Joseph's dreams were delayed. I want you to think the stages in his life. He became an errand boy for his brothers. He became a cash purchase for the Midianites. He was Potiphar's little slave and Potiphar's wife's little. (laughs) He was Pharaoh's prisoner, and he became a servant of servants in the dungeon. Then the next step of Joseph's word, he still has that ability to interpret dreams, and he gives one to his fellow prisoners with an interpretation. How many people do you know in prison that really do have a God-given dream, and somewhere in prison they give up on their dreams? They just go, my life... You know, I must not be worth anything. I can't live up to it. I'm a failure. Then the next stage that you see of giving up on yourself is the next stage where you give up on other people and say, I got burned. You know, I helped that guy out, and here it is two years, three years later. No one remembers me. I'm totally forgotten. And somewhere in our life, there's a disillusionment that comes that tries to make us give up on our dreams. This is what that verse is talking about. Until the word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. What dream do you have that you're trying to give up? The word of God, the word will test you to every fiber of your being. Psalm 105 verse 19, when it talks about that time where the word came to pass, there's a distinction drawn between one person's word and another's, between the word and the Lord's, between his word and the Lord's word, between Joseph's word and God's word. You know what was going on in Joseph's mind? Is this your word or was it God's word? Is this your dream or was it God's dream? How reliable is a dream anyway? Can you count on a dream? I mean, do you have a dream and a sign comes up, this dream is from God? (laughs) 
how hard do you hang on to that? It looked like everything was going opposite than his dream. Do you know when he was in the prison of prisons, don't you think he was thinking, yeah, everybody's going to bow down to me. I don't even have a family now. You start seeing the dreams disappear right before your eyes. Was it just dreams and only dreams? Was it Joseph's dream or was it God's dream? There wasn't even the faintest sign of fulfillment. His circumstances would make him believe that it was just boyish aspirations. You know, when you're a kid, you think, I am going to go out and conquer the world. Everyone will look up to me. And Joseph began to wonder, what was this? When you're going through a tough time in life, have you ever had this happen? It's like having a great dream and then waking up to the harsh realities of life. You know, you had that happen where you wake up and you're having a good dream and you realize life is worse. (laughs) That terrible moment where you like, I like to go back to sleep. If you've had a tragedy in your life and you wake up, it's that horror of realizing the reality of life is worse than what the dream is. That's what Joseph was going through these years as the word of the Lord came and worked on him. But you know, something settles down inside of you, and it's called the immovable belief that these things are for just a moment. That immovable belief that these things are but for a moment. Something settles inside of you. C.S. Lewis says, what happens to the dream? He says the danger is shutting those dreams down. That thing in you that shoots for the moon, that longs for the moon. And there's a set of people in life that the way they deal with the harsh reality of life is they become cynical. And they shut that side down. And they make fun of idealistic people over here. And they quit believing in their dreams and they let go of them. Hold on to your dreams. Smile at old hopes. For they are often the prophecies of capabilities and possibilities of what God means for you to make happen to yourself. You know, think about Joseph. He is in there and he's cleaning up Potiphar's potties. And then he gets promoted. He gets to clean up the prison potties. I want you to think through what his jobs were like. We were coming back from Huntsville and we were riding on a prison bus. And in the middle of the bus where they haul those prisoners from Huntsville was a potty. I'm going to tell you, I've seen some filthy potties before. But there is nothing worse than a potty in a prison. There is nothing worse than what you saw on that bus. I got so tickled at the head volunteer coordinator, Tammy Vega. She was talking to me and laughing, and she didn't know it. She was hanging her hand over the rail and making all kinds of signs, and her hand was dangling in the potty. And where the crossbars where she couldn't see, she had her hand in that potty talking away. We go, Tammy, look where your hand is. And she about screamed. I thought she was going to gnaw her hand off. (laughs) That's what happened to Joseph, the nastiness of what he was doing that did just like Joseph did, that he started low. And he said, no job is too humble for me. But he's the kind of man that said, I'll start anywhere it takes. Great men are born at this point. So I'm going to say that at the point of the delay, what happens to you? It tests you. It tests our patience. It tests our willingness to do humble tasks. You know, those nasty toilets is what builds strong men. Are you willing to start at the bottom? Joseph went through the test and became prime minister of Egypt. You know, in Genesis 41, 41, it says that Joseph stood up before Pharaoh, and we all love to read this. And if I was trying to impress you, I would start with this scripture and stay on this scripture. But in Genesis 41, 41, Pharaoh comes up to Joseph, and he says, You've been blessed. I'm giving you my ring. People will bow down to you. Put on these new clothes. 
Your chariot will be next to mine. They'll answer to you first. It's blessed. But the amazing thing of accurate preaching is, if you're going to preach that scripture, you've got to preach first. That first of all, Joseph wore a son's robe. And then he wore dead men's clothes that had blood smeared all over them. And then he wore a servant's loincloth. And then he wore prison garb. And it was after each one of those steps before he ever put on the king's robe. And the only way to get where Joseph's got is doing it the way Joseph did it. And that's starting from the bottom. And the cream will rise to the top. And I hear so much preaching and people get disillusioned 20 years later. But it didn't happen to me. And it's because I never ever looked at the true context of what causes the blessing of God, of the promises, and forget the yellow scriptures of the commandments, that if you do, then it causes. It's a package deal. Number two, the delay of a promise or a prophecy. Have you ever had God speak a word to you, and what he spoke over you was delayed? When you're tested by his promises, we are often tested by God's promises. Will we hide them in our heart? Will we live worthy of the promises that God makes over us? I want you to think about old Abraham in Genesis 15 when God comes to him and he promises a 90-year-old man, you're going to have a son. At the point that God promises Abraham, you're going to have a son, I would have said it would be best not to have any more delays. We need to get after this. How many more years was it after that promise? Do you remember? Uh, what? Yeah, 13 years, I think, 10, 14 and God makes a promise to your life, and we're tested by it. We hide them in our heart. Are we worthy of those promises? For sure, with Abraham, he was tested by the word that God gave him. In fact, there was a moment that Abraham freaked out and was thinking, I've got to make this promise happen. There must be something wrong. I must have the wrong wife. If God's going to make me a father of many nations, it doesn't mean he has to be with Sarah. And so he freaks out during the delay, and his flesh does something to speed it along. Now, I want you to think of something here and write this idea down. It is God's word, it's God's promise, it's God's prophecy, it's God's idea for your life. And still it's delayed. Sometimes I think we start thinking, well, it's our idea is why it's delayed. No, this right here was God's idea to give Abraham a son. And yet God's idea was delayed for 13 years. Sometimes I think we think that there are times that God appears to be late. But he's late even when it's his idea. Abraham made some mistakes and he got scared over those delays. You know, the test of the word, the test of the prophecy that Abraham had would test to see if he could see things that are not as though they are. The test of what's immovable inside of you. Habakkuk 2 verse 3 says, Though the vision tarry, wait for it, for certainly it will come. Though the vision tarry, wait for it, for certainly it will come. Notice the last sentence. It will not delay. Though it tarry, it will not delay. There's things in your life that you've got to have faith for the delays that come in your life. You know, that's why a lot of people theologically don't believe in healing, is it's delayed. In Luke 13, verse 16, that lady had had 18 long years where she was bent over. Now, I want you to think about it. Do you think she had tried other ways to get healed? 
We know she had. She, said she had tried everything. She had exhausted her money. Do you think that lady had prayed before to be healed? Do you think she said, God, where are you? But there came a point. She came to the place that she saw Jesus and she knew this is my moment. Now what happens to people is at a point they come to a place and they say, uh-oh, there's been a delay. I don't believe in healing anymore. And this is where your theology changes because of the delay. You know, that must have been a precious moment after 18 long years that Jesus walks by that woman and she is instantly healed. In several places, he said, I'm not waiting one more day. They ask him, won't you wait till next week when it's not Sunday or not the Sabbath? He said, I'm not waiting one more day. When Jesus comes, he comes suddenly upon the scene. What in your life, a delay, have you been tested by that has caused you to change what you believe, what you believe about the Lord, change what you believe about his promises? The third one is the delay of prayer. Have you ever had a prayer delay? It's the difference between the amen and the there it is. The asking prayer and the receiving prayer. In Luke 18.1, Jesus tells us what we should do during this time. And I want to challenge kind of a contemporary belief on prayer here. In Luke 18.1, he said sometimes when prayers are slow and, and they take a while, he said you become weary and you start to lose heart. But he said I'm going to give you an analogy or a metaphor on what to do during this time that you're getting weary in prayer. And he tells a story, and his story is about a woman who is so persistent that she keeps going to this judge who fears neither God nor man, and she bothers him to the point that that guy gets so frustrated that he finally gives that woman justice. And Jesus says, that's my definition of prayer. Is your prayer life like that? I think it's interesting that God says that prayer should be so aggressive Prayer should be so persistent that you nag the person until they finally give you what you're asking for. And he says, that's what I want from you when you're getting tired of praying. That's his example of it. Very aggressive woman. It's a myth to think that patience means not moving fast. Somewhere in our mind we think patience means not moving or not moving fast. She didn't sit down during the delay. That woman was up and in that guy's face, up and in his office constantly till she got what she needed, and that's patience. That's faith for your delay. Many times delays call for action, aggressive action. It doesn't say she could have sat home and done nothing and gotten justice for her son or for herself. Delays are there to test your persistence in faith. And then I think the interesting part of this, I think it's in verse 8. It says, if this happens with a man who does not fear God, nor does he fear man, but he still gives that lady what she wants, how much more will your father, and I'm adding this in, who's good, who loves you, not bring justice speedily to you when you pray? So if I was going to ask what the will of God is on it, I would say God's will is speedily answers. What ties it up in the spiritual realm? I mean, we're clearly seeing here there's something that's delaying it. He tells us to be very persistent. But it says his will is that he will bring forth justice speedily on your behalf. What kind of answer are you needing a speedy answer on? 
that you've got to persist on through. I think kind of a clue for it is in Daniel 10, verse 12. It's that famous story where the angel comes to Daniel, and he says, Daniel, there's one thing I want you to know. He said, from the moment you made your petition to God, I started coming towards you. But he said, I was restrained in the heavenlies, and it took me three weeks of warfare to get to you. He said, I was Michael, I'm the chief angel, but I was fighting with the prince of Persia. Y'all, that lets us in a lot on the secret of prayer and what we're having to battle through. Because sometimes I think we think God's up there with his hands in his pockets saying, I'm going to take my time. I'm going to just wait it out. I'm going to see how long that I can take. And it, it appears that God's taking his own sweet time. But during this point, the word of the Lord tests us. The word itself tests us, not the Lord. A lot of warfare is going on around your prayer life. And I want you to think this through, that when prayer delays, his answer is not give up and say, well, God doesn't answer prayers. This must not be God's will. His answer was persist on through, and I will bring you justice speedily. The delay of an expectation. Have you ever had something that you expected be delayed? I think these are the hardest because you never tell yourself your expectations out loud. You never say, I really expected for this person to do this for my life. I really expected more out of this person. Those are just kind of private things that you have personal expectations for people and you think, if I was in their shoes, I would have done it differently. Or don't they see my great need? But a lot of times we can get pretty heart sick over expectations we have for people that they don't live up to the expectation. Sometimes, you know, have you ever given money and the money didn't come in when you needed it, so you run back and pull it back out of the offering? Or you <laughs> find a way to get it back? <laughs> it's like uh, being a farmer and you put that seed in the ground and you're hungry. So you go back out and you dig that seed back up and you cook it because you're starving. You know, it's like my great-grandfather who was supposed to not eat certain things and they'd find him down in the kitchen at midnight. It's that delay. It's the Vita girls that used to when it was the cafeteria down in the bottom that they'd break into night and they'd have a party down there and they'd be cooking up everything. They couldn't wait on the delay from a supper till breakfast and so they were eating all through the night. What is it you're going back in and you're digging back up that you don't have the patience for? In 1 Samuel 10 verse 8, I think that everything in your character that's impulsive will be tested out. And I think the Lord had Saul's number right here, right from the beginning. In 1 Samuel 10, verse 8, Samuel tells Saul, and he's proved to him several times, I can hear the Lord. He called him to be king. He also proved it to him on the donkeys. And he said, Saul, we're going to give a sacrifice together. But he said, we're going to do it on the seventh day, and I think it was in Gilgal. And he says, wait for me before you offer the sacrifice. But there's a little interesting clause there. Samuel was late. And when Samuel was late, Saul panicked. The people were scattering. And so he makes excuses for the fact that he began to offer the sacrifice without Samuel. Was this a light punishment? I mean, the kingdom was stripped from him at this moment for being impatient, for not being able to handle the delay. David, wait a minute, he had an adulterous affair and he kept the kingdom. Saul gets impatient about a delay. Wow, it's interesting. You were late. I don't have to obey you. Have you ever had somebody that's a minister and you blame them and say it was your fault? 
think there must have been some deep attitude root problems. I think a lot of times that impatience and impulsiveness comes from something deeper in an attitude of almost thinking, God, you can demand. We had a kid on our mission team when I was at ORU, and he was really looking forward to being in the Philippines with us. And we had all worked together as a team. We put on Toymaker and Sons, a drama. They had let us all have parts. I was half of a gate and, and uh, yeah, my acting abilities. And Anyway, Tim had gotten all the best places. And, in fact, they had seated him on the board of professors in the Philippines in this college. And they had 20,000 members in this church. And Tim was so excited. We had trained for, like, four months from January till May. And all of us were a little short on our money. So Tim was working, and you've heard this story, but it really illustrates the expectation. I didn't have my money, and so this lady calls me up, and you know she's the one in the church from back home that you know is going to give the big gift. And she goes, Angie, is there someone that doesn't have their money on your team? I said, yes, that's me. That's me. I knew it was me. I didn't have my money. And uh, she said, no, it's not you. And I said, you're kidding. She said, there's someone else. She said, would you describe them to you? And I said, well, Tim, he doesn't have his money. And she said, that's who it's for. Well, I checked, and because he had already graduated, he'd gone home earlier. So I, she asked me how much he needed. I got the money. I went into the missions department. I said, let's put this on Tim's account. And they said, uh, we're not going to give it to Tim. And I said, and why? And they said, Tim got so angry about his money not coming in, that he started screaming stuff about God had failed him, that he could never trust God again, that he hadn't come through. They said that Tim had totally left the school. And they said even if he did get the money, they weren't going to let him go. You know the sad thing about Tim? He never knew that God came through for him. He'll go all his life thinking God never came through. I never could trace Tim down to tell him, you know what? You opened your mouth. Sometimes the death of an expectation where you let go things in the spiritual realm and you get discouraged. You know that delay tested Tim. The funny part is I didn't have my money either. It's the only trip I didn't have the last two or three hundred dollars and I went anyway. If Tim had just stuck it out, God had the provision waiting on him. When Samuel is late, what do you do about that? I think that everything in your character that's impulsive will be tested out. You know, if you think of 2 Kings 5, verse 11, you know, Naaman's big deal was he expected Elisha to come out and greet him because he had brought all these camels and all this great stuff. And what does Elisha do? He sends a servant out to tell him, go jump in the river. If I was going to go tell a Syrian soldier of that rank to go jump in the river, I'd send my servant out too. But (laughs) anyway, that's beside the point. But you know, we say, oh, it didn't depend on the person. It's only God who heals. But do we really believe that? I want to ask you something. If you're dying sick in the hospital, and I just picked one of my college kids and said, hey, go pray for him, would you be insulted? If you would, then you were really wanting the person. You weren't really pulling into God. It was more of a people thing. If you'd be disappointed in that, then you really think it's people that are healed and not the person if you don't get the top dog. It's funny how it reveals our heart, the delays. That expected email, it should have been sooner. John 11, verse 20, Mary and Martha was a set-up delay. And she was all over Jesus. I mean, she was over Jesus like a chicken on a June bug. Have you ever seen 
that in the hen house where they're ch chasing a June bug? I mean, Mary may have sat in the house and been nice because she's the worshiper, but Martha, she beat it out there. <laughs> <laughs> and she let him know, if you'd been here sooner, this wouldn't be happening. It's your problem. She was after him. There would have been a delay, and she didn't like it. You know, you gave Lazarus enough time to die. What's interesting about Jesus on this, there's other passages where he actually seems to be in a hurry with the person to get to him. He moved quickly. I mean, he took the pressure of the situation, even though he could have dealt with it on either end. But he moved very quickly with people to help them get their, their needs met. But in this context of this verse, it says very clearly in verse 3, verse 5, verse 36, it makes us sure that we know that Jesus loved them. It says he loved Mary, he loved Martha, he loved Lazarus, the disciple who he loved. He wept because he loved them. This was birthed out of love. Jesus has a great love for us. And sometimes we've got to realize that the motive is love. I'll never forget how hard I chased the Shaw home. I drugged over that Shaw house every day. I wanted that house. It's gorgeous. It's on Coggin. If we'd gotten that Shaw house, we'd never be in the home we're in. If we'd gotten the house, Shaw house, we'd never be having this Bible study, and we would not know you. It's amazing what delays do. It's the love of God. The delay of an expectation. The last one is the delay of love. That period of anticipation. Have you ever had love delayed in your life? Yeah. I want you to think about it. Jacob's seven-year delay. Yeah. You know, we're kind of a throwaway generation. And sometimes you might be missing the person God has for you because you're not willing to wait. It's kind of like we have disposable people. We have disposable school. We'll just switch school if we don't get what we want. If, if our job doesn't fit us, we get rid of our job. We throw it away like a used toilet paper tissue. The problem with it is a lot of times we're not waiting on what God has, waiting on God's best for us. Marrying a baby Christian. Oh, man, I want to marry this person. Great, we got him saved. Check. <laughs> Oh, they got spiritual gifts. Check. <laughs> oh, great. But the fruit is still green. And then you're calling going, why is this still in their life? Well, you smothered them. You drug them to the altar. You sat on top of them. You made sure they got their spiritual gifts and you married them the next week. And they didn't even have a time to say, who am I? I'm a new creature. They didn't even have time to develop because you were pushing them so hard to get the checklist off for the anticipation of love. You know, the Song of Solomon tells us that there's a lot of delays that make love beautiful. There's a beautiful side to delays. You know, your soul is being tested. Think about this. You're good looking. You know you're good looking. We always have this joke in our family. We'll see if it works. Smile if you think you're handsome. <laughs> Jimmy Hudson. That was Jimmy Hudson. That grand from ear to ear. Okay. We'd always look at my brother. If you think you're cute, we want you to smile. Okay, you know you're good looking. You know you love the Lord. You know you're more intelligent than most people. You've got a lot going for you. And you have no prospects. It's that horrible feeling of the delay of love. What is happening to my life? Picture this. This is my analogy for you. You're a ship with all the sails out. And you're sitting dead in the water because there's no wind. And you just think, my life is floating by. Here's all these sails. What's happening? I'm going to give you a little story. It's my brother and his best friend, H.W. You know how girls always say, never a bride, always a bridesmaid. 
and they'll count up and they say, I've been a bridesmaid in 32 weddings. <laughs> and, you, and you ask yourself, <laughs> you know, how many bridesmaids do I have to be before I get to get married? You can tell you're popular because you're that many bridesmaids and that many weddings. Uh-huh. Well, what does it do when it happens to one of you guys, you know, where it's like, oh, my gosh, I, you know, I really expected this to happen. Well, my brother got married, and Bill had his best friend, H.W. They were Christians. They went to the same church, and they went to college. They did the college thing. They graduated from good colleges with good grades. I think they both were business degrees. They get out of college. They still don't know what they want to do, so they decide, well, we'll become lawyers. So within one year of each other, they both became lawyers. So they, they were really impressed with what the Lord had done for them. And they were back, and they were just two boys together. Well, you know, H.W. was the one that night when I came home from the prom, and all of a sudden they had this stage light that goes ka-ching, and it comes on. And it comes on me and the guy that I'm in the car with and follows me clear up to the door, and the guy goes, who is that? And I go, oh, it's probably my dad. I'm just joking. I hear Bill and H.W. up there laughing their head up. They're up on the balcony, and they followed me with the stage light all the way to my door, you know, and you miss, which, you know, yeah, you miss the goodnight kiss. And so, <laughs> and so H.W. was one of these that was with my brother every step of the way. Well, Bill gets married, and, you know, it's next for H.W.'s life, too. He has bunches of girls on the string that all like him, and Bill has his big wedding, and he's a groomsman. Well, the bachelor party. Oh, yeah, H.W., he's great. He's a genius. He ties Bill up. He drags him all over town. <laughs> they beat him up at section hand. And H.W. gets indelible ink, that surgical ink that's non-erasable. You have to wear it off. <laughs> and on Bill's sweet little cheeks, they write, Kiss me, you fool. And everyone signs him. They were going to carve an S in his chest of Superman. <laughs> I mean, that night, that party, I take care of my brother freezing cold December. It's such a great night. H.W. and Bill, they were friends. Well, Bill was like, I'm going to get H.W. back. I mean, this is war. Anyway, they were just alike. They'd made well. They'd done well. They were respected. The only problem was H.W. never got married. H.W. was 25. H.W. was 30. H.W. was 31, 32. H.W. was 35. H.W. was 40. H.W. started driving back to my dad every five-year decades and would talk to him, what's wrong, pray, prophetic, please give me a word, anything. They'd check everything. He'd have breakups, and he would drive in. You know, hope deferred makes the heart sick. He's handsome. He's a lawyer. You'd think someone would at least just marry for money, you know, if nothing else, you know. They were from good families. In his mind, he thought, I'm going to get married just like Bill got married. It's going to be the same for both of us. Well, he made a decision in his life at one point. He was like, I'm going to quit stalling my life for this. I'm going to go on with my dreams. So he moved to Kosovo, and he started trying war criminals over there, built a legal system. And one day someone said, I want you to meet this cute little missionary. And in walks Suzanne. I mean, she's beautiful. Yeah. She loves the Lord. She's a graphic designer from Lakewood Church. I started talking to her about mission fields. I couldn't believe how many countries she'd been in. She's just more humble than I am. I mean, she smuggled Bibles. She's done all the fun stuff. And H.W. and Suzanne get married. They hosted our team over there. Y'all, they have the perfect marriage. I have to admit, it is the perfect marriage. They'd spend weekends in Greece on the beach, and they read C.S. Lewis to each other 
at night to go to sleep. Now, <laughs> yeah, that's a perfect marriage, yeah. Now, of course, my brother can't just let this go. You've got the bachelor party, and realize in your mind that Suzanne and Sloan have never met, and the couples are going to meet for the first time at the wedding. And so they're emailing each other backwards and forth, the wedding plans, and there was email, and uh, Bill was a groomsman, and so they were giving Bill and Sloan one night in the hotel because he's a groomsman the night before the wedding. Well, Bill sees these emails going backwards and forth. Well, Bill doesn't do a bachelor party for H.W. He just kind of does nothing. This is what he does. He catches that email, and so he gets on Sloan's with her password, and he writes, Suzanne, Dear Suzanne, this is Sloan. Uh, Could you please give us more than one night? Bill and I need some time together, just some romantic time. We haven't had a vacation in years. Could you pay for two or three nights? Suzanne writes back very stiffly. (laughs) Um, Well, maybe we could arrange that. Then the next one, Bill gets in on the computer. He goes, Suzanne, this is slow. And he starts writing. And he says, I know you're really nervous about everything, the night and everything, but right before the wedding, we can meet you. And I can tell you everything I know about. I mean, Suzanne is like, Bill has married a crazy, that's slow, she's crazy. And so anyway, she finally goes in, and, 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 and she, she goes, H.W., look what Sloan's writing me. This is really gross. H.W. grabs out. He falls on the floor. He goes, this is Bill writing you. <laughs> Bill got him back. Um, faith for delays in your life. This is what H.W., we were in Kosovo. He goes, you've got to send a picture to your brother for me. And he puts on the big Kosovo poobah hat, the white hat that sits up for all the matriarchs of the family. And on a beautiful Mediterranean house, and grapes are growing down, clusters. And so he leans his head back, and the picture is where Suzanne is dropping grapes in his mouth. And that's what I send back to Bill. (laughs) They're buddies. But you know what? H.W. had a time when his faith was tested and where he thought, man, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But I'm going to tell you, dreams are fulfilled. And when he looks at Suzanne, he was like, it was well worth the wait. Everything I could have ever dreamed for is here. The delay of expectation, the delays of love. Your soul is being tested during it. But I'm going to tell you something. There's something about the delay of love that it makes love beautiful. You know, delays make us manifest. Sometimes we're, when love is deferred or love is late, we're like, ah! And you start going crazy, and you become something no one would want to marry. Especially if they drive with you in a car, and you get in traffic. Have you seen men in traffic? The delay of traffic, yes. Or we quit, or we want to curse God, or we want to die, and we, people start mocking. These are dead-end streets. If we're a Christian, we just start worrying that we've done something wrong, or we didn't hear right. And delays make us do something where we get sick in our mind as well as our heart where we think, man, something is wrong. Let me tell you the mercy of God. In 2 Peter 3, 3 through 4, it says that in the last days when Jesus holds off coming back, people will begin to mock. And they'll say, look at the delay of his coming. And it says that the whole world begins to mock. People mock when there's delays. When you're tested by a delay, see if you start mocking. See if you start mocking God's promise. But verse 9 says, do you know what God's reason is for delaying his coming? He says his wishes is that every man would be saved and not one man would perish. 
Y'all, you've got to understand the delays of God are the mercy of God. No telling where he's moving you from Shaw Homes to this, where he's moving you from beautiful things, where he's, he's rearranging your life. There's a delay. What am I going to do? How am I going to handle it? Not letting your heart get sick. Being persistent as that widow, not manifesting, having faith for the delays, knowing assuredly that God is good. That thing I prayed about the most, that thing that I've wanted the longest, that thing that means the most. I'm going to say possibly, see if you believe this, time makes things dearer. It prepares our heart for fuller possession and deeper reception and more appreciation. There's something about the way that H.W. looks at Suzanne where he was like, it was worth waiting a lifetime for you. You don't take things for granted. You're like, I deeply appreciate this. I know what it felt like to be alone all these years. Was not Lazarus dearer restored from the grave than what he would have been if he'd just been raised up from the sick bed? Sure did make him a lot more famous. Was not Isaac dearer than Ishmael who was forced by the flesh? Was not Rachel the treasured wife? Does not the delaying of the blessing, the increase of anticipation, make the blessing increase and our heart more grateful? I wrote this analogy. Like an underground spring of water that hollows out more area, the longer it stays underground, the bigger the capacity it makes for love, for anticipation, for gratefulness. What do delays do? I, I know when Walmart, I had worked one whole year on them, and I finally got a contract with them. And then one spool brat, 20 years of age, picked up the phone and called above me and said, your mother's books are no good. Stop the contract. We don't want them. And she was the distributor of the Christian company. I'm not talking about secular. You know, that delay, when I found out that those Walmart contracts sometimes take nine years to attain and God had given it to me in a year and a Christian on our side had stopped it, I thought about doing something to her mother. I mean, I thought of things that I could do to that girl in her sleep. I went and I got before the Lord. What do the delays do in your heart? I cried my guts out. I fasted on my face for three days. I started finding myself praying for this girl because I thought there's something wrong here, something wrong with her. And when I got off that ground, the Lord said, rewrite the book and do it at military. It told my mom, rewrite the book, make it a toddler's book. And when we got off the ground, what looked like we were destroyed, we came out better. When you're pushed down, do you see how that underground spring, it digs out a bigger ground? When I got off the ground, all the anger was gone. The forgiveness had come. The Lord had strengthened. And I got up with something better in my hand than I ever had when I went down to that ground. What do delays do to you? Sometimes it can build something better. It can build you stronger. It can make things better. Ephesians 6 verse 13. It talks about the fact that having done everything, having done everything, having done everything that God tells you to do, Delays are not for non-action. Having done everything, stand. Stand, therefore. It says stand three times in that verse. Having done everything, stand. It's testing you. The word of the Lord's coming and it's testing you. Are you going to quit or are you going to stand? And then 1 Timothy 1.18. This is a great verse. It says, according to the prophecies 
that have been prophesied over you. By them, fight the good fight of faith. Did you know that the prophecies that you've been given are for you to war with? I'll never forget, Shannon Witt wrote down one given her. For three years, she stood on that. And boy, she claimed that prophecy. This is what God said over my life. And she warred with them, fought with them. You know, when I'm a kid and said, your feet will touch foreign soil many times. And you're like Joseph and think of these crazy dreams. I'm going to tell you, God has spoken some words over you and on you. And I'm going to tell you, God will give you faith for delays in your life.